Hi, my name is Nick Smith, founder and creator of Part-Time Pilot. Now, after three years, five flight instructors, and over $22,000 out of my bank account, I was finally able to achieve my dream and become a private pilot. Now, I have a bachelor's and master's in aerospace engineering and over 10 years experience as a flight test engineer. So if it was that difficult for someone like me, no wonder eight out of 10 student pilots never end up becoming a pilot. So this is why I created Part-Time Pilot, and this is why I'm creating this podcast. This podcast will be your audio ground school and just another way Part-Time Pilot is making flight training easier and more consumable for you. So with over 300 students and counting that have used our content to pass the FAA private pilot exams, I hope that you can use this podcast to become the next student to do so. So thank you, and I hope you enjoy listening to the Part-Time Pilot Audio Ground School Podcast. Hey, 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 welcome in everybody to the Part-Time Pilot Audio Ground School. My name is Nick Smith. Thanks for joining us for another episode. This is episode 20. Now, I'm not going to do any sort of announcements or anything, so we're just going to get straight to it. In episode 19, that was our last episode, we talked about, we continued to talk about section five of the Online Ground School. Now, if you're following along in the Online Ground School, this is your course in your dashboard go to my courses and it's called step two you know online ground school private pilot lessons so step two online ground school private pilot lessons and you want to look in that on section five this is where all your lessons quizzes and videos are going to be section five is weather theory charts and information and in the last episode we covered lesson lesson five and lesson six of that section. Those were on fog, frost, and ice. Now those are very important topics. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go ahead and check that out. And the episode before that, we covered even more important stuff. We covered things like air masses, weather systems, thunderstorm, wind shear, and temperature inversions. So these are all big topics, weather systems, uh, weather theory, charts and information are one of the most asked about topics on the FAA written exam. So be sure to consume this stuff at least a couple times. All right, so in this uh, episode, we're going to get to lesson seven of that section, which is on dew point, And then we'll probably get to lesson eight of clouds. If we have time, we'll go to lesson nine, which is weather and altimeter settings. So let's get to it with lesson seven on dew point. Moisture is added to unsaturated air through the processes of evaporation or sublimation. Now, evaporation is when liquid water turns to gaseous water, and then sublimation is when solid water or ice turns to gaseous water, or what we call water vapor. So you have two ways to get to water vapor, which is just the gas, gaseous form of water. And if you remember, the, there's three, there's actually four forms of substances if you include plasmas but we're just mostly used to the three forms of substance which a substance can take which is solid liquid or gas so when we're talking about water as the substance it can be a solid which is ice a liquid which is water as we know it rain rivers lakes oceans whatever or it could be gas and then we call that water vapor 
The dew point is the temperature at which the air must be cooled to reach its maximum level of water vapor saturation. If the water vapor has been added to the air through evaporation or sublimation and any more cooling of air beyond the dew point occurs, the water vapor will cool and condense into liquid droplets which form dew. So basically what that says is if there's enough water vapor in the air and that air cools to below the dew point, that it will then condense into back into liquid water. And that's when you get the you get things like dew, fog, and clouds. This is why pilots keep an eye on the dew point and temperature spread. Once the temperature reaches the dew point, the air is saturated with moisture, which forms fog and clouds, which significantly reduce visibility, adds to icing dangers, and more. Remember, pilots can use the reported dew point spread to estimate the base of clouds where the air saturates. And I said remember, but maybe you Maybe you're new to this and maybe you've never heard of it, but you may have also heard of it and I'm going to explain exactly how to do that. A simple equation exists in order to make this estimation, which relies on the fact that temperature decreases with altitude by a rate of minus two and a half degrees Celsius or minus four and a half degrees Fahrenheit per 1000 feet in the troposphere. That's less when you're less than 10,000 feet. And this is considered the temperature lapse rate. So let me repeat that again, because that was a lot of information. But basically, when you're 10,000 feet or below in our atmosphere, the, the temperature of the air drops as you go up in altitude at a pretty consistent rate. So consistent, in fact, that we can estimate it as a linear drop. It's either minus 2.5 degrees Celsius per 1,000 feet in altitude gain, or if you're using Fahrenheit, that's minus four and a half degrees Fahrenheit. So that what that means is, let's say the temperature at, and we have a figure that shows this in the online ground school. It shows every level from 10,000 to the surface be, uh, at 1,000 foot intervals. So it shows 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 feet, 4,000 feet, all that. And then it shows the temperature and an example so if the surface temperature was, for instance, 30 degrees at 1,000 feet, that would drop 2.5 degrees Celsius, so it would be 27.5 degrees. Then at 2,000 feet, it drops another 2.5 degrees, so it's 2.5 degrees below what it was at 1,000 feet, which was 27.5 degrees, so now it's at 25 degrees. Then it goes to 22.5 degrees at 3,000 feet, 20 degrees at 4,000 feet, 17.5 degrees. It keeps going down by 2.5 degrees every 1,000 feet of altitude gain until you get up to 10,000 feet and it's at, a, at about 5 degrees Celsius up there if the surface temperature was 30 degrees. Now this is just an approximation. This is based off, this is called the adiabatic lapse rate, which means it, that it assumes sort of like a, a perfect system. Obviously the atmosphere is not perfect and you're going to get warm air masses coming in, you're going to get heat exchanges, you're going to get pressure systems swirling the air winds and stuff that are going to change this and make this not perfectly linear but it's good enough for a good estimation and a sort of a napkin calculation right back of the hand calculation for pilots to estimate where those clouds will be now how can you estimate using the lapse rate where the clouds will be well remember we talked about when the temperature reaches 
the dew point and below, that's when you get the water vapor condensing into liquid droplets. And that's what forms clouds and fog. So if we can just find where the temperature will equal the dew point, we, if we can find that altitude, that is the altitude we can. So if we look up in the sky and we see some clouds, we can say, okay, how, how high are those clouds? Well, if we know the dew point and we know the surface temperature, we can find the difference between that. Let's say the dew point is 20 degrees and our surface temperature is 30 degrees. We say, okay, the difference between that is 10 degrees Celsius. And we know that every thousand feet it drops by two and a half degrees. We know that our temperature, our air temperature from the surface is going to change by two and a half degrees every thousand feet that we gain. So it's going to go from 30 degrees at the surface to 27 and a half degrees at a thousand feet, 25 degrees at 2000 feet, 22 degrees at 3000 feet and 20 degrees at 4000 feet. And at 4,000 feet, it now equals our dew point. Remember, we said our dew point was 20 degrees. So we can estimate that our temperature is going to drop by the, to our dew point by the time it gets to 4,000 degrees by using that lapse rate of 2.5 degrees per 1,000 feet. So we can say that we estimate that the bottom of those clouds, the bottom of those clouds are where the dew point matches our temperature, and that's where the water vapor will start to condense into liquid drops. So we can estimate that those clouds are at about 4,000 feet in this example. So the, there's an equation that you can do this with. And it's, so it's, again, we kind of already said it, but it's the difference of surface temperature minus dew point. You take that difference first, you subtract surface, ten, surface temperature minus dew point, and then you divide it by two and a half degrees Celsius. Or if you're using Fahrenheit, you would use four and a half degrees Fahrenheit. Then that quantity, so let's say surface temperature was 30 degrees, dew point was 20 degrees, so you go 30 minus 20 equals 10. Then we divide that by 2.5 degrees Celsius to get 4, and then we multiply that 4 by 1,000 feet, and that gives us 4,000 feet. And that's the estimate of the cloud base, the base of the clouds based off the temperature lapse rate and the dew point. So it's a very handy equation. You can remember this equation and you'll likely have to do this at least once, maybe twice on the FA written question, uh, written exam, but it's definitely good to know for your check ride. It's a, it's a simple equation to remember, but there's an alternative if you don't like remembering equations. An electron, electronic E6B, like the Sporty's E6B, which we've made tutorial videos in our online ground school on how to every every way that you would use your sport easy 6b for the fa written exam we have made an example and a tutorial video for that in the online ground school and one of those is estimating cloud base they actually have that equation in there so it's more than just you can't do that with a paper e6b but you can do that with your sporty's electronic e6b and you can take your sporty's electronic e6b with you on your fa written test they're just going to take out the batteries to make sure it resets so you don't have anything safe. Put them back in. It's all reset. You're good to go for the test. So you can use that on the test. That means you don't have to memorize this cloud-based equation. You just have to know how to use that, that uh, procedure in the electronic E6B. Now, I'll put a link in the show notes for that E6B so you guys can 
can take a look if you guys want to get it yourself. I think it's about 80 bucks on Amazon. I really like the Sporties one. There's also an Asa CX3 version, which I haven't used. I, I've been meaning to get to it and kind of do a review of it and do some tutorial videos with that as well. But the Sporties one is, is the most available. It's easy to get on Amazon and it's pretty pretty affordable and easy to use. So that's that's one I'm recommending at the moment. Okay, so so that's the, the cloud-based estimation technique. We'll do another example specific to the FA written here in a bit because there's one little tricky thing that they do on those questions. So I wanna make sure to highlight that. But I also wanna talk a little bit more about the lapse rate. The actual lapse rate can also tell you information on the stability of the atmosphere because a higher change in temperature per altitude means more changes in pressure per altitude. So when we think about weather, temperature goes without, with pressure. So if the temperature goes up, the pressure is going to go up. If the pressure goes, temperature goes down, the temperature, the pressure is going to go down. Sorry. So it go, they, they kind of go in tandem. So if you have a higher rate if that lapse rate is higher than the normal, right? That two and a half degrees Celsius, if it's higher, let's say it's changing five degrees Celsius per 1000 feet, that's a higher change in temperature per altitude. That means the pressure is changing more per altitude and pressure. Remember air likes to move from high pressure to low pressure. So you're going to have more air movement, which is wind and wind shear through those altitude bands, which is the same thing as instability. And we'll get to what stability is here in a little bit in terms of, of weather. But basically, if you have upward movement of air, that's going to cause turbulence and instability. And I think we, we spoke about that a little bit actually on a few episodes ago. I'm kind of losing track of the episodes. But instability is a, sort of the same thing as turbulence. And that's usually when you get a vertical movement of air. And when you have that higher, you know, that large changes in temperature, faster changes in temperature with altitude, you get that faster changes in pressure with altitude, and you get that vertical movement of air. And that'll make your atmosphere instable. So the actual lapse rate compared to the nominal lapse rate can give you an idea and some information about the stability of the atmosphere you're going to fly in. So now that I mentioned that, let's get back and do another example of the cloud-based equation. But this time we're going to say instead of telling us the surface temperature, we're going to say the temperature at 2000 feet. Let's say the temperature at 2000 feet is 20 degrees Celsius and the dew point is 10 degrees Celsius. And the question is at what altitude can you expect clouds. Okay, so we know the lapse rate is two and a half degrees Celsius. So if we're using our equation, we do our surface temperature minus our dew point. Okay, but wait, we didn't get a surface temperature. Well, we don't have to use surface temperature. We can change that surface temperature to altitude temperature, whatever altitude temperature we got. If we just remember where that starting altitude was, that that starting altitude was 2000 feet instead of the surface. Let me explain in an example. So instead of doing surface temperature minus dew point, let's do that temperature at 2,000 feet, which we said was 20 degrees, minus our dew point. So that's 20 degrees minus 10. Our dew point was 10, so we get 10 degrees. And then we divide that 10 degrees by our lapse rate of 2.5 degrees Celsius, and we get 5. Or sorry, we get 4. 
<laughs> 10 divided by two and a half is four. So we get four and then we multiply that by a thousand feet, we get 4,000 feet. So if we were to say that we can estimate clouds at 4,000 feet above ground level or above the surface, we would be wrong. And there's specific FA written questions where they do this. They'll put that answer 4,000 feet in one of the options and if you select it, you'll be wrong. And the reason you're wrong is because we use the difference between dew point and the temperature we had and we were given at 2,000 feet. So we're not adding 4,000 feet from the surface. We're adding 4,000 feet to where we had that temperature reading, which was 2,000 feet. So when we do that equation and we don't use the surface temperature, we're finding out where the clouds are above that temperature reading. So whatever temperature reading you use, whether it's the surface temperature or a temperature at 1,000 feet, 2,000 feet, whatever that problem gives you, that's going to be, once you get your answer, your cloud base answer in terms of feet, you're going to add that to where you took that initial reading. So in this example, we had that initial temperature reading of 2,000 feet, where it was 20 degrees. So and our answer, when we did, when we figured out that it'll take 4,000 feet to reach the dew point, we add that to 2,000 feet and say we can expect clouds 6,000 feet above the surface. So it's either 4,000 feet above 2,000 feet where we took that temperature reading of 20 degrees, or it's 6,000 feet above the surface. Hopefully that makes sense. Watch out for that on the FAA written exam. All right, so let's continue on with the next lesson, which is lesson eight on clouds. But before we do, I just have a quick announcement that I think you guys will be interested in. Hey pilots, this is Nick again. Did you guys know that Part-Time Pilot now has a private pilot test prep book that you can buy on Amazon? It's a physical book that you can buy on Amazon to help prep for your FAA written exam. So it's like the other test prep books out there, you know, the Jepson, Asa, or the Gleam, Glime, however you pronounce it. It's just like those, but I called ours the ultimate private pilot test prep because not only does it give you a synopsis of each subject, like the cliff notes, like those other books do. And then it gives you FAA written questions to practice and quiz yourself on to, to prep for the test. But it also goes much, much further. And that's why we call it the ultimate private pilot test prep book. So for each subject, it also has a QR code so that as you're reading it, you if you want more information, you can scan the QR code on your phone or your tablet and it will immediately pull up a YouTube video that you can watch on the subject. There's also QR codes in there for additional downloads including FAA, PDFs, subject area checklists, and more PDFs for, from us that you can download for free. It also includes a coupon code and QR code where you can go enroll in online practice tests for free and receive the PDF version of the book completely free. All that is with Q simple, easy to use QR codes inside the book. 
And then we also, not only does it have the cliff notes of all the information, but it also includes mnemonic devices and visual aids, such as diagrams, tables, and images that are labeled, such as like a METAR that is labeled every single thing that is included and deciphered in the METAR or a TAF. Also the performance charts, step-by-step -step labeled steps on performance calculation charts. So it's not just cliff note bullet points, it's that plus much, much more, these visual aids, all in 404 pages in the Ultimate Private Pilot Test Prep book, and it is only $37. So you can go check that out on Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes, so go check it out. Okay, so let's get to it. This lesson is on clouds. In this lesson, we will cover different cloud types and the categories of clouds. I debated putting this information in the online ground school at all because it is rarely asked on your FA written exam or check right oral, but it might be and is never bad to know. But a lot of people think that you need to know all the names of clouds and the different types of clouds. Not 100% something that would be asked about, but there are some of them and some points about the clouds and some topics about the clouds that you will need to remember so we will cover all that and I'll, I'll again highlight what I want you to remember. If you are to remember anything in this section uh, try to remember the weather associated with each type of cloud and how that may affect you as a pilot and again if you're following along in the online ground school I've bolded each place where this is discussed so those important parts are bolded like everywhere else through the online ground school. So clouds are categorized based off several features. First, they're categorized into four groups. Ciriform, cumuliform, stratiform, and nimbus. Ciriform clouds are clouds which are fibrous or those that seem to have several smaller fibers or pieces of cloud. <clears throat> cumuliform clouds are clouds which seem to be heaped or stacked slash towered vertically. Stratiform clouds are layered clouds. Steady precipitation preceding a front is an indication of stratiform clouds with little or no turbulence. We, you may have mentioned or you may have heard us talk about stratus type clouds. Those are kind of layers where they, they move horizontally and they're kind of smooth and you find them you know when a warm front goes up and over a cold front creates these stratiform clouds and you get steady pre precipitation preceding that front. Then nimbus clouds. Nimbus clouds are clouds with rain. If you're a Harry Potter fan, this always makes me think of the Nimbus 2000. I don't know. I think I know the the suffix nimbus means rain cloud. So I guess J.K. Rowling took some inspiration from that word. I guess, and that's that's the rain cloud <laughs> magic broom. Anyways, I'm a Harry Potter nerd. But uh, so nimbus clouds are clouds with rain. The word nimbus actually means rain cloud. Clouds are then further, further categorized into four families. So those are the four categories. Now we have four families based on their height range above sea level. So you have high clouds, mid-level clouds, and low clouds. For high clouds, they are considered clouds approximately 20,000 feet and above. Now, depending on where you look, I looked at, you know, I tried to find the most common, like, you know, weather 
sites um, like the the United States government weather official weather sites for this information. So high clouds are considered approximately 20,000 feet and above. There are three types of high clouds. There's zero stratus, zero cumulus, and cirrus. Zero means there will be several small fibers or pieces of this cloud. Stratus means that pieces will be layered. So zero stratus is several small fibers that are layered. Zero cumulus, zero again means there will be several small fibers or pieces of this cloud. Cumulus means the pieces will be lumpy, heaped, and stacked on one another. So you have small fibrous pieces of clouds that are lumpy, heaped, and stacked on one another. Kind of a combination between the two. And then CRS, again, zero means there's several, several small fibers, neither stacked or layered, but thin and several pieces of cloud. So it's neither the zero cumulus that are stacked or the stratus, which is layered. So it's kind of in between. Then we go to mid-level clouds. Mid-level clouds are considered clouds between approximately 6,500 feet and 20,000 feet. There are two types of mid-level clouds. There's alto clouds and then cumulo clouds, mid-level clouds. And then there's two alto clouds. So there's alto stratus. Alto means medium or mid-level altitude, so that makes sense. Stratus means the clouds are layered. Again, stratus means layered. Alto cumulus, again, alto means that mid-level altitude. Cumulus means the clouds will be lumpy, heaped, and stacked together. So you have the mid-level lumpy clouds. You have the mid-level layered clouds. And then cumulonimbus, cumulonimbus clouds range from 1,000 feet to 10,000 feet. So they, they do get into that mid-level, and we'll talk about these a little bit more, kind of in their own category. The last family of clouds is the low-level clouds. Low-level clouds are considered clouds between the surface and approximately 6,500 feet. There are two main types of low-level clouds. There's stratus and cumulus. And remember, stratus was the layer or uniform cloud. Stratus clouds are formed when warm, moist air flows upslope over terrain or up and over a cold air mass like in a warm front, causing the water vapor in the air to condense into clouds, which creates a ceiling or uniform layer. Stratus clouds have mostly horizontal movement of air and no vertical development. This is what differs them from the creation of cumulus or stratocumulus clouds, which are associated with rising air and turbulence. So when you look at them, they're just, they move horizontally and they don't build vertically. So that's an indication of a stratus cloud. And what you want to remember is those form when warm, moist air goes up and over some terrain or up and over a cold air mass. That's what I want you to remember from those, as well as the fact that they're layered or you know that they have that horizontal layer on them. And then stratus clouds, I also want you to remember that it's mostly that horizontal movement and not the vertical movement. So remember those sort of three things. The other category of low-level clouds is cumulus clouds, and we've heard this word before. They mean heap or stack towered lumps and they're usually associated with unstable air. Remember we talked about stability of air, and when you get vertical movement of air, that's when it becomes unstable and turbulent. And so these cumulus clouds, because they, they lump vertically, that tells you that the air is moving up. The air is moving up, and the temperature change is, is moving vertically, and the air is condensing higher and higher. The, the water vapor is condensing higher and higher. So you, you can tell by just looking at the clouds, if you have vertical development of air and that leads to instability of the air 
Aircraft entering a cumulus cloud can expect turbulence and icing because of the moisture and that temperature cooling inside the cloud to condense that water vapor. Aircraft flying below a cumulus cloud can also expect turbulence and strong downdrafts or wind shear. Remember, we talked about wind shear a couple episodes ago, and that is basically a change in wind direction or speed in any direction or change in altitude. So again, we're getting wind, uh, air moving a lot when you have these cumulus clouds, even below those clouds. So that comes with wind shear and turbulence. There's additional low-level clouds that I want to mention here. There's stratocumulus, which are a layer of small lumps and heaps, a combination of layered stratus and stacked lumped cumulus. So they're kind of, you know, both of them combined. Stratocumulus clouds form when stable air is lifted. So you get the stable air and then it gets lifted and so you get the combination of both of the clouds. can also be formed when a stratus or cumulus cloud is broken up by an air mass. Then you have nimbostratus, which I'm sure you guys have heard of before on the news or something. That's a thick, dense layer of stratus clouds with steady rain or snow. Remember, nimbo means rain cloud. So when you hear any cloud called nimbo, you think of rain or moisture coming out of the cloud. VFR aircraft should avoid flying below a nimbo stratus since the clouds are expected to contain precipitation such as rain, snow, or hail, which will reduce visibility significantly. A pilot may also experience turbulence and downdrafts under a nimbostratus, as well as possible icing in cold conditions. So the reason I talked about a nimbostratus cloud is because of these two, last two things that I, that I said. You know, you want to be cognizant of flying under them or through them because they're going to have a lot of precipitation and that's going to reduce your visibility. It's also going to be a possibility for downdrafts and turbulence and icing in cold conditions. So. They're, they're particularly hazardous to pilots. That's why I wanted to, to mention them. All right, so continuing on, the last one is cumulonimbus. Cumulonimbus clouds, which again, I, I mentioned in the mid-level clouds, but I'm gonna mention them again in the low-level clouds. They range from 1,000 to 10,000 feet, and we're gonna talk more about them now, but I included them both in low-level clouds and mid-level clouds because again, they fit both definitions per that, the altitude range. So, vertically developing clouds. Towering cumulus and cumulonimbus are these clouds that vertically develop at high rates and a lot of energy. These cloud bases range from 1,000 to 10,000 feet AGL. Thunderstorm clouds, a heaped or stacked lump of cloud with rain. These towering cumulus and cumulonimbus clouds are thunderstorm clouds. We often just maybe call them thunderstorm clouds that resemble a heaped or stacked lump of clouds that continue to build. Towering cumulus clouds form when there is lifting or rising air, unstable airflow, and large amounts of moisture in the air. If you remember a couple episodes, we talked about the conditions necessary for a thunderstorm to be created, and we talked about that rising air, the unstable airflow, and large amounts of moisture in the air. The rising of moist air causes the heap or stacked appearance of the cloud. When a towering cumulus grows to great heights, water in the upper part of the cloud freezes into ice crystals, forming a cumulonimbus. Cumulonimbus clouds have the greatest amount of turbulence due to the large amounts of rising air and energy. 
Cumulonimbus clouds are associated with turbulence, icing, lightning, precipitation, poor visibility, and extreme weather conditions such as downdrafts, wind shear, and tornadoes. So basically, all these vertically developing clouds, these cumulonimbus, those are thunderstorm clouds. So go back, and everything I said about thunderstorms can basically be related to these types of clouds and, and vice versa. They're interchangeable as far as what to look out for as a pilot. Some other types of clouds you might hear referenced by aviators are cumulonimbus mama. And this actually, there is one FA written test question about these. Cumulonimbus mamba are just thunderstorm clouds or cumulonimbus clouds that are associated with a particularly violent and dangerous storm that may include tornadoes. So you have cumulonimbus, you think thunderstorm, you have cum cumulonimbus mama. Just think like the, the big mama of them all, right? The big, this big dangerous storm cloud that includes all the bad things, including lightning and tornadoes. And then you have lenticular clouds. This is also a question on the FA written exam. Lenticular clouds are almond or lens-shaped crests or standing mountain waves. I want to repeat that again because this is what is usually asked. There's actually a, a few questions on the FA written that could possibly pop up about lenticular clouds because they're of particular interest when you're flying over terrain. Lenticular clouds are almond or lens-shaped crests of standing mountain waves. When moist, stable air flows over in eddy, vortices of air, when moist, stable air flows over in eddy, which are just vortices of air, that was caused by a surface obstruction such as a mountain or building, the moisture in the air condenses into a standing cloud on the side of the obstruction sheltered by the wind, also known as the leeward side. So if you have wind blowing from east to west and you have a mountain in the middle, this cloud right as the air goes over it there's it's, the air is going to be pushed up and you might get some vortices some or eddies as they call them and as, if warm stable air flows over those eddies eddies and vortices you're going to get these lenticular almond or lens shaped clouds that will show up on the leeward side of of the obstruction which is the side sheltered by the wind so in our example from east to west the side sheltered by the wind is the west side so you'll get the cloud sort of on that west side of the mountain they appear to be in our stationary but this can be deceiving as they can contain winds greater than 50 knots now i want to repeat this because this might be asked they appear to be and they are stationary so they're not moving so you might think, oh, there's no wind there, right? So this can be deceiving and something dangerous as a pilot to think, but they may contain winds greater than 50 knots. Lenticular clouds or mountain wave turbulence and unstable air could be anticipated when winds of 40 knots or more blow across a mountain ridge. So when you get strong winds, which are typical over you know, higher terrain and mountains and things like that, when you get 40 knots, Lenticular clouds can pop up. You also get really strong mountain wave turbulence, downdrafts, and very unstable air conditions. So this is why we want to try to avoid, especially in the smaller powered aircraft that we fly as private pilots, we sort of want to avoid high terrain at all possible. If you're planning a cross-country flight, don't fly over the tallest peak because of things like this. Even if you have a good couple thousand feet of altitude clearance, 
you're still going to probably get into things like high winds, turbulence, and even downdrafts on either side of that mountain. And that can be very, it can make make it so that you can't climb over that mountain because the downdrafts are so strong. So we want to be, uh, be particularly knowledgeable about this so that we can avoid it and know why we are avoiding it. The last one I want to mention is Alto Cumulus Castellanus. A group of small cumuliform clouds that all have the same base level indicating possible growth of larger mid-level clouds in an unstable atmosphere that one's not super important and i haven't seen it asked about on the fa written but it's good to know when reported in forecasts and reports for pilots only towering cumulus or cumulonimbus clouds are specifically reported since they signify the presence of a possible thunderstorm all other cloud reporting is done by means of a ceiling above mean sea level. A ceiling, by definition, is the height above sea level of the lowest layer of clouds that is reported as broken, overcast, or obscuration. So I want to repeat a couple things that I just said. So in forecasts and reports by pilots like Pyreps, which we'll talk about here in a, here in a couple episodes, only towering cumulus and cumulonimbus clouds are specifically reported so those are the only types of clouds that will be reported that's probably why the fa written doesn't quiz on the cloud types as much but what the weather that is associated with the cloud types and that the reason cumulonimbus and towering cumulus are reported is because the presence of a possible thunderstorm and all the dangerous weather that goes with it that we've talked about all other cloud reporting is done by means of the ceiling. And a ceiling, the definition of the ceiling is the height above sea level of the lowest layer of clouds that is reported as broken, overclass, or obscuration. So in the ground school, we have a figure here. The different reported cloud layers and their meanings are defined. And so if you're going through the ground school, go check it out. We have all the different different things that you would see the abbreviations that you would see on a weather report like vv few sct bkn or ovc what it means and then the definition of that for example if a pilot sees few 070 under sky conditions in a metar or taf and don't worry if you don't know what metar or taf is we're going to get to that in the coming episodes they can expect this to mean that there are few clouds at a height, so that's what FEW means, few, at a height of 7,000 feet above sea level. So again, you saw FEW 070. The 070 was in hundreds of feet. So 70 hundreds of feet is the same thing as 7,000 above sea level. Where, and then the definition of few means that one-eighth to two-eighths of the sky is covered in clouds. Now, two-eighths is the same thing as a quarter or one-fourth of the sky. So one-eighth to a quarter of the sky is covered in clouds. A ceiling is considered broken or more cloud coverage, which translates to five-eighths or more of the sky covered in clouds at a particular level above sea level, according to, again, this table below. So I'll go through the table real quick here. So you have VV which is the abbreviation you see in a weather report that means vertical visibility and that means that eight out of eight or all of the cloud is all of the sky is covered in cloud layer then you have skc or clr this means sky clear or clear and that is zero percent so zero out of eight you know zero eighths 
of the sky is covered in clouds. Then you have FEW, which we talked about. That stands for few. And that's more than zero to a quarter of the clouds of the sky is covered in clouds. Then you go to, when we're kind of building our way up, then you go to SCT, which means scattered. That's three-eighths to four-eighths or three-eighths to a half of the sky covered in clouds. Then you have BKN, which is broken. That stands for broken. And that's five-eighths to seven-eighths of the sky covered in clouds. Then you have overcast, which again is the same thing as VV, which is eight out of eight or all of the sky covered in clouds. So remember, a ceiling is anything that's reported as broken, overcast, or obscuration. So if you have, if clouds are reporting as SCT or scattered, which is three eighths to a half of the sky, that is not considered a ceiling. And this is important when you're flying VFR flight. And if you don't have that ceiling, then you could still fly VFR flight. We'll get to what VFR, the definition of VFR flight means with airspaces and cloud clearances and all that stuff again in future episodes. There's a lot to learn still. But we are making progress, so go check it out. Go check out the – I also, in the online ground schools, there's a picture of all these cloud types based off low, middle, high, what they look like, and they're all labeled in there. And you can see, and you can actually then go and just look outside, and you can start spotting clouds and look really smart in front of your friends. But there's a picture of that in the online ground school. And then everything that I want you to remember and I'm going to quiz you about, and it's going to be quit might be quizzed on the FA written exam is bolded in this lesson. It's a long lesson. And again, don't get too caught up in memorizing all the cloud types, but try and memorize what weather is associated with those, particularly the hazardous weather for pilots. All right, everybody, we're going to call it quits there. My voice is a little tired. And again, that's about, I think we're about 35 to 40 minutes in and I want to keep it at about that that pace so next episode which should be episode 21 is gonna be should be on December 19th so we're getting real close to the holidays so it'll be a good time for you guys to, to buckle down during the holidays and get some studying done when maybe you won't be able to fly you can bust out some of the studying done so it'll be a good time for you guys to consume this content and in that next episode, we'll continue on with weather stuff. And we're going to start getting into lesson nine, which is weather and altimeter settings. So start the weather and how it starts to interact with your cockpit instruments. And then we'll start uh, getting into like lesson 10 and 11, which talks about estimating numbers on charts and interpolating, which are some tools and skills that you'll need to read the weather charts and charts that we're going to start getting into for the information you'll have as a pilot. So I want to cover those skills first. It might be a little bit difficult on the audio ground school, but it's important to cover those skills first so that we know and we have the skills to read the charts. So then after that, we'll get into METARs and TAFs, PIREPs, area forecasts, winds and temperatures, loft, low-level significant weather charts, radar weather. So there's a lot more to go here. But we'll, we'll get it done slowly but surely. And thank you guys for joining me as always. If you guys are looking for the best online ground school, as always, go to parttimepilot.com. We still have yet to have a student not pass the FAA written exam. I think we're up to almost 390. We just had another one yesterday. So 
Thank you guys again, and I'll talk to you later. Hey guys, it's Nick. I want to take a second to speak directly to the student pilots out there. You might be a student pilot that is you know, wondering what to do next, how to get started, or maybe you're looking for the right ground training or flight training, or maybe you've already started ground training or flight training and you're stuck, you're in a rut, and you're looking for a change, something to help get you out of that hurdle. From my own experience in flight training, after three years, five instructors and $22,000 and wanting to quit multiple, multiple times, and then now, after seeing hundreds and hundreds of student pilots through part-time pilot, I've realized that the number one thing that makes student pilots fail is that they do not have a good fundamental understanding of the ground training when they get to the more advanced flight lessons. Now, who here has seen Top Gun Maverick? Do you remember in the movie when he says, don't think, just do? Now, when I heard this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because this is exactly what you have to be as a pilot. Now, of course, it's not that we're not thinking, but it's that we understand things like weather, aerodynamics, what our instruments are telling us, what ATC is telling us. We have such a good core fundamental understanding of these things that we don't have to think about them. And when we don't have to think about them, we can instinctively feel and fly the aircraft, look out for dangers and avoid emergency situations. If we do have to think about these things, it's going to put us behind mentally and we're going to be behind the aircraft. And when you're behind the aircraft mentally, bad things happen. And this happens when you don't have a good understanding of the ground school content. So now the first 10 to 15 hours of your flight training can go smooth, even if you don't have a good understanding of ground training, right? You can go up for a discovery flight, have a blast. You can go up, learn how to take off, learn how to land. You may be even able to solo for the first time, fly a plane for the first time. Everything's great and dandy. But once you get into, you know, bad weather flying or flying at heavy, heavily trafficked airports or speaking with ATC for Bravo clearance or cross-country flight planning and flying solo on a cross-country flight, things get a little more advanced. And when this happens and you don't have a good understanding of the ground school concepts, you're going to hit a wall. You're going to start to get behind the aircraft. And when this happens, if you have a good flight instructor, they're going to stop you and they're going to say, okay, we need to do one-on-one -on -one ground lessons. And now you're going to be paying your flight instructor to not even fly with you, but instead $50, $60, $70 an hour to just teach you the ground school content that you should already know. And, at, and the worst part is, is you're not flying with them. So the flight training that you gain, the currency, the proficiency that you gain is going to be lost and you're going to have to redo those lessons. What happens to most student pilots is they continuously hit these mental blocks where they get behind the aircraft, they start making mistakes, and then they catch up with the ground knowledge only to have that happen again. And they start to get in this vicious cycle of having to redo trainings and repay for trainings until it gets to the point where them or their family, they finally say, you know what, this has to stop. We can no longer afford the training costs uh, without any progress, you know, and they end up quitting. Now, so how do we avoid that? Well, here comes part-time pilot. Again, I said I went through my own experience of this and I realized that most flight training and ground training is not tailored to the modern day student pilot. And when I say modern day student pilot, I should say modern day part-time student pilot because let's face it, there's a very small percentage of us that can go and dedicate 24-7, 365 to our flight training or 
not even miss a beat and be able to pay for flight training without working. So most of us have a full-time job or maybe a part-time job. We have kids, we have family, we have school. We have all these other responsibilities on top of flight training. And most of these flight trainings and ground trainings are not tailored towards you. And so how is it the part-time pilot tailors to the modern day student pilot? Well, the first way we do that is by keeping ground school interesting. You wanna avoid being boring, you wanna avoid that burnout. So how we do that is we present our material in multiple, multiple ways. And you're actually listening to one of them right now. You can consume our content via this podcast and an audio recording. You can do this while you're running, while you're driving in traffic. Again, tailoring to that busy part-time student pilot. Or you can read through our written lessons. You know, I like to read. So for those of you that like to read, you can read through the lessons. You can see the step-by-step examples and the procedures that we have. Or you can look through our study guide and see our diagrams and mnemonic devices, have that visual cue, those visual cues and aids that help further your understanding. Or you can watch our videos. Or you can take our quizzes and practice tests to reinforce what you just learned. And then finally, you can join us live weekly for our live Q&A and our live lessons so you can see in real time these things taught out and these examples done in real time. And then finally, you can utilize our group community to form study groups, get questions answered 24-7. All of this is tailored for the modern day student pilot to keep ground school interesting, keep it from being boring, keep from having that burnout, and to find ways that you can consume the content throughout your busy schedule. And guess what? It works. We've had over 350 student pilots come through, take and pass their FAA exams without a single student failing. That's right. A single student has yet to tell me that they failed either their FAA written or their FAA checkride. So that is just proof in the pudding right there that our concepts, the way we explain things in plain written English, and the way we give you multiple ways to consume this content is working. So if this sounds like something you might be interested in and you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Just go to www.parttimepilot.com, click on Online Ground School, and we'll see you inside the Online Ground School. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.